0: Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi,
1: this is Victoria Meyer, host of The Chemical Show podcast. Today, I'm speaking with J.T. Starzecki, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for 5E Advanced Materials. J.T. has extensive experience in mining and minerals, focused on market development, raising capital, business strategy, product placement. Prior to joining 5E, he was the Chief Marketing Officer for Anglo-American Crop Nutrients and focused on building the largest greenfield fertilizer mining operation around the world. And today, he's with 5E, which is a new company that we're going to learn a little bit more about. So JT, welcome to The Chemical Show. Victoria, thanks for having me. Absolutely. What's your origin story? How did you get involved in this space? And it seems like a lot of this space for you has been mining companies. And how does that tie into Specialty Chemicals?
2: Sure. Like anybody, right? Things come around and take an opportunity and it leads to something else. My background out of university was technology. So it was in market development, workflow automation, things like that. And I had been working with an individual that had made a shift over into the mining sector. And I got a phone call one day and he said, I want to I wanna talk to you about something that we're working on that is a project in Australia, but there's a couple of different things in the United States and see if you're interested in it. And my response, was willing to listen, but I wasn't really sure because my career was definitely on track and was going well in the tech sector. And at the end of the day, it was an opportunity that I decided that I was going to take a chance on. I thought if it doesn't work, I can always go back to technology and figure if I can do it for a year and we'll see what happens. And that was 16 years ago. I got, yeah. So I ended up jumping in.
1: Time flies when you're having fun.
2: Absolutely. And look, it allowed me to broaden my experience across the globe. I've met some amazing people. I've worked on some amazing projects. It's not always easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it, but it has been absolutely rewarding. So yeah, so I made the leap into the mining operation and essentially mining and specifically mining for fertilizers has a direct correlation into the chem business, right? So there's a lot of different overlaps when it comes to inputs into the end use of a particular product. A lot of large scale chemical producers also have downstream businesses that sit into the fertilizer space. So There's a lot of correlations there. What we ended up doing at my previous company, Sirius Minerals, was nothing short of amazing in the sense that not a lot of new greenfield fertilizer operations came into play. We ultimately had to redefine the market to a degree. We were bringing a set of crop nutrients into the market that were well recognized, but not in the same form factor. So not only did we have to build and finance a large scale mining operation, we had to educate the market and we had to build a market for a product that hadn't really existed on a large scale. And you start to then build relationships in the traditional fertilizer space, but then when you get out into the global fertilizer market, most of the companies that end up producing some sort of large-scale fertilizer also have some sort of chemical or petrochemical offshoot that is part of those overall operations.
1: Interesting. And now you're at 5E Advanced Materials. So Tell us about 5e and what it is and where you guys are going.
2: Sure. So 5e is absolutely one of the more intriguing stories out there. And I I get it. It's my job to promote our organization. In today's world, especially when, and we play specifically in the domestic supply of critical materials, decarbonization, sustainability space, when people think about that space, automatically lithium jumps into their head, right? And so lithium is the sexy thing that's out there. There's a lot of lithium startup companies that are out there. Our domestic supply of lithium actually isn't as large as one would think. It's not nearly as large as it needs to be to supply all the anticipated growth for electric vehicles. But people tend to not think about some of the other key materials that are in that whole EV space. Rare earths get a little bit of press, and that's a growing market opportunity. But what doesn't get any press is boron, and that's what we do. So Boron is a product that is in just about, not every product, but it's in a lot of products that we use on a day-to-day basis. So it's actually a micronutrient. So it's in the fertilizer space. So it's in the food we eat. It's in the screens that sit on all of our smartphones. So the Gorilla Glass, it's used in fiberglass. It's used in insulation. It's used in carpet. It's used in steel production. It's used in batteries and permanent magnets and motors. So it has a wide application. It's just one of those things that sits in the background. But it's never used. And what we have at 5E is we have a large scale, long life operation that we're building that will produce a significant amount of boron and boric acid and boron derivatives. But we also have a lithium carbonate stream too as well. So we do play in that space, but we are a battery materials, long-term sustainable operation. And ultimately that was the draw for me. The draw to come over and join the team was to be in the next big thing. And we have a strong belief that boron is the next lithium. So we're excited about what we're doing here at 5E.
1: Interesting. But I would say maybe boron is the next carbon in the sense that when you think about the chemical industry most, many of the chemicals that we use have a carbon as the backbone. Carbon is the building block. And so I think we're all really accustomed to that. Like everything's coming off a carbon chain. And yet, as you talk about Boron in use, it's oh, yeah, it's all around us as well. I think you don't realize, unless you're actually working in it, you don't necessarily realize that you just take it for granted. And certainly, the growing demand as it relates to EV, as it relates to all the technologies that we have, certainly creates that platform for growth.
2: Absolutely, you know, it extends beyond just the EV sector. Look at the wind sector or the solar sector, right? So, the glass. On the solar panels, that's a borosilicate glass, right? It's resistance to the the elements. The wind turbines themselves, boron, it plays a role in creating the permanent magnets and the motors that actually turn the turbines, but the blades themselves have components of boron in it because boron is the second strongest material on the elemental table next to diamonds. So it adds a resistance layer to all of these other decarb applications. It really is. Boron was back in the day was a very GDP style growth product, right? So it was in detergents, it was in cheap, insulation that goes into old homes and things like that but it's now the application into these future-facing technologies it has biotech applications it has advanced pharmaceutical applications that has cancer treatment applications there are some similarities in its broad-reaching use as other sort of carbon-based technologies as we move into this what we're calling the, the energy revolution or the next step in clean tech green tech space that is driving our economy
1: yeah. So let's talk about but 5E and your its focus on boron and lithium is at the intersection of maybe some of the global megatrends and the trends actually that we talk a lot about on the Chemical Show and elsewhere. So it's decarbonization, which ties, of course, to sustainability, food security, and then domestic supply of critical materials, which that's actually a really hot topic. We'll come to that later. Is there a primary starting point for you and for 5E when you guys are thinking about as you're coming into the market, what's your primary focus initially?
2: I actually think that this is probably a good transition into the, to the dom- domestic supply argument. Right now, there is so much press, there's a lot of funding, and there's a lot of push from our government to not only look at how do we process those materials here, but how do we explore for and mine those materials, right? Mining is a sensitive topic. It's an extractive industry. So it's an, a sensitive topic that is looked at almost on a state-by-state basis. So you have more mining-friendly states, you have less mining-friendly states. We're building our project actually is a very mining-friendly community in Southern California because it sits in the Mojave Desert. But that is actually one of the key drivers for our business because it plays into ultimately where our product is going to go. So you've got to have a home for your product. But also we have to finance and build the larger scale facilities. And right now there's a lot of funding available for these types of projects so that not only can we can a company mine the materials here, but it can process the materials here and ultimately sell the materials here. So we do fit into that domestic supply mega trend at the core of what we're doing. And then, of course, the
1: I got to say, JT, that when you say friendly mining community in California, that would not naturally resonate for me. That's surprising to me, actually, because I think I think most of us look at California and think it's anti-industrial in a lot of ways, right? So wants to reap the benefits of new technologies, of old technologies, of all the things that chemicals go into and boron and boric acid and lithium and all those things. It wants to reap the benefits, but it doesn't want to pay the price in the sense of having it in their production in their backyard. Tell me more of that. So how has this worked out for you? Because I'm surprised that you could get permits to build and do the things that you're doing. So how has that been received?
2: It's interesting, right? Because the state of California has already implemented a lithium tax, yet they don't have any lithium production actually on stream right now. So you are spot on when you say that they want to reap the benefits of it. San Bernardino County, where we are, actually has multiple producing mines there, right? We're also... So part of what I think has led to the approval... And our opportunity to build a world-class operation there is is you're in a community where it's not densely populated. And so certainly that plays into the whole not-in-my-backyard concept, which is ultimately what extractive industries can be plagued with. We sit legitimately in the Mojave Desert. There's little employment or there's high rates of unemployment. There's just not a lot of opportunities for the next generation. So when you have opportunities for extractive industries or mining industries to come in if it's done in a different capacity and it's not done in the old school open pit high strip ratio ugly large scale and there are some of those right there is some opportunities now we're blessed with a geological setup that allows us to do to build a very sustainable long term mining facility with a very low carbon footprint and what i mean by that is the majority of what we're doing is underground so The ore body itself sits at between 1,300 and 1,500 feet below surface. So we're drilling small six or eight inch in diameter extraction and injection and extraction wells that all of the processing itself from extracting the mineral takes place below surface. So you don't actually see anything going on. You obviously then have to bring that up. You have to crystallize it. You have to put it into a form factor that you can ultimately sell. But we're going to do that in an area that we're going to add three to four paying, highly skilled jobs, and we'll bring some economic infusion into the area. We are actually substantially permitted. So we have all of our federal permits in place. We have state permits in place, which is air and, most importantly, water. When you're building a project in the desert, we're very fortunate in that we have aquifers that sit within our operation that are designated as non-human consumption and non-agricultural use, only slated for industrial use, which is great for us. And then we've got some county permits that allow us to actually construct the project. So yes, it is very counterintuitive when you think California broadly, but we are specifically positioned. It's actually a very mining-friendly community.
1: And then you guys are actually building conversion to boric acid at that same site. Is that right?
2: Yeah. And so what we're very fortunate in the sense that how we're mining, so we're mining in-situ leaching. So you essentially inject a very highly diluted hydrochloric acid into the ore body itself. It sits in a casing, it's injected into the ore body, it dissolves the ore body, and then you pull it back out into what we call a pregnant liquor solution. Which is basically a solution that has all the minerals in it. We then run it through a crystallization process, which essentially kicks out the boric acid, lithium carbonate, and some gypsum. So we have a beneficial processing and mining operation that gives us a second derivative product rather than actually having to dig out raw ore, processing it into a second. So we don't add that second step or essentially built in. So, yeah, so we have a boric acid. Production facility that's built into the mining operation.
1: Hmm, interesting. Okay, cool. I didn't realize, again, that's not my land of chemicals. My land of chemicals this is in the carbon space. So that's interesting to me how that all plays out. We're
2: writing the playbook on in situ leaching. Operations for boric acid. So you have in situ leaching operations all over the globe, and it's used in every sort of operation you would see. It's uranium mining is done that way. There's potash mining that's done that way. And essentially, what our ore body is a boro is a potassium based boron ore body. So it's very will react very similar to what some of the in situ potash mining solution mining operations.
1: Interesting. How does decarbonization then fit into this? I know that's a big part of the value driver for you guys as well.
2: So think of our sustainability program and our decarbonization efforts in two veins. So the mining operation that I just talked about is very environmentally friendly in the sense that we're not digging. It's not a challenge eyesore. We don't have significant emissions and we actually have a closed loop system. So about 95% of what we utilize is recycled back through the system, which means we're not a significant draw upon water. We're not going to have to have endless amounts of hydrochloric acid. So our mining operations itself have a very low carbon footprint, but also the boric acid and the boron derivatives that we use have a wide application into decarb technologies, right? So as I mentioned earlier, wind turbines have encompassed a lot of boron through the construction of the blades, through the permanent magnets that sit in the motors, the borosilicate glass that plays into solar panels, so all of the growth that were companies or banks specifically. So there's a well-known report out there by Credit Suisse that looks at the forecast of boron demand moving forward. And the majority of that growth is coming in all in decarbonization applications. So there's upward pressure in the price points because of these future-facing technologies. What that's going to mean for some of these lower and lower end products is they're going to have to find something else to utilize. And I don't want to use the word substitute because there is actually no natural substitute for boron, but those lower end applications will fall off because the demand for boron is going into solar, wind, EVs. So that's how we play in the carbonization arena.
1: That makes sense. So what's been the biggest challenge for you and for 5E as you're building the business, as you're raising the awareness of the company, and even identifying its ultimate customers.
2: The biggest challenge that, that we're facing at least have to date with 5E is, is simply educating the market on boron. And one of the statements I made earlier is lithium is the sexy thing that's out front. Nobody knows boron, but boron actually has just as many applications in the decarb space. We're spending a lot of time, certainly this year, in educating the domestic market on the importance of boron and the ap- widely used applications of boron. So that's been a bit of a challenge, but it's a challenge that I think we're starting to successfully overcome. So that's been good. We go into investor presentations, we go into industry presentations, we go into sector presentations and people now starting to understand the value of boron. So that's probably been the biggest challenge that that we've had to overcome.
1: Yeah. And partnerships is going to play a big role for you, right? So I know you guys have already lined up some partners in terms of developing your product lines. What role is it and how are you looking at partnerships as you go forward?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And actually it's it's fundamental to our business strategy in the sense that obviously you have to, if you're going to build an operation like this, you've got to have an outlet for your product. If there's no end market, that's an issue. And you refer to one of the commercial relationships we have out there with Corning, which is an LOI to provide them a, a certain portion of boron or boric acid. But our commercial partnerships are not just all about where we're going to move the product. Actually, our commercial partnerships are also part of our funding strategy as well. So because of the products that we have and the value of those products in today's market setting, a partner will ultimately come in and play either at a strategic level, so some sort of strategic investment into our project, or some sort of prepay With our offtake agreements, I've spent a lot of time in that commercial space, and I've put a lot of offtake agreements in place in previous lives. And we are in the very fortunate position right now, where we've got two product streams that are highly in demand. And you look at whether it's a an EV, so the automotive industry or the OEM industry, generally speaking, fertilizer or crop nutrients industry. All of those industries are right now having a problem with procurement, or when they look at long term procurement of products, that's primary. To the concerns that they're trying to overcome right now. So, yes, so the commercial side of what we're doing and our customers and end users ultimately are going to play a role in where the product goes, but also in ultimately our capital stack and how we're going to finance a
0: project.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've had conversations with a number of startup innovative businesses, such as yours. And one that comes to mind is Avantium, which is they're in the plastic space. So, they're building, they've got new technology, sustainable technology for to replace poly at PET. I'm not going to get into all the chemical stuff, but PET. But one of their things is they've locked in a lot of partnerships slash offtake agreements because that's clearly a way to generate pull through and it's a way to generate funding. And I think this is something we're seeing quite a lot as innovators, new technologies, new companies are coming to market is locking in offtake and also locking in those partnerships and funding in order to continue to secure and develop that.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And we're seeing it obviously in in a broad variety of sectors, but one of the things that that we know as an organization is you also have to make sure you put the right offtake in place, right? So you can go and you can run and you can sign up a bunch of customers and you can that can commit certain amounts of product or all of your product if you want to, you end up giving away a lot of long-term shareholder value if you do that. I've been the beneficiary of really good offtake agreements and I've had to deal with bad offtake agreements that ultimately give away too much in the early stages. We often get asked by the investment community, why haven't you signed anybody up? And the answer is very simply because it has to be the right one. And it has to be a strategic partner that's going to bring some level of investment to what we're Doing to help move us forward.
1: So, what characterizes a good partnership for you or a good partner for you? How do you identify the right ones and what makes that good partner?
2: You think, especially where we are in a pre revenue stage, the name certainly adds a lot of value. So, yeah, knowing that you're going to want to go out and you're going to want to align yourself with a group that has broad reaches and broad distribution. Because the one thing you don't want is you don't want a customer that ultimately says, we want a whole bunch of product, but doesn't have the ability to actually utilize that product or move that product. So in the case of a corning, you're gonna be looking at using our boric acid in the construct of products that they already have in place, right? So they have market penetration, right? They have market share. And so that's another criteria that you look at is not only do they have the ability to follow through on these offtakes, but then do they have the ability to utilize it and make sure that it's being utilized in an effective way. You also wanna look at the ability to create more shareholder value through maintaining or increasing price points. And if you're looking at markets that are essentially going to be saturated in the near future, you limit your ability to have higher price points and return more value to your shareholders. So those are some of the criteria that you look at. And then, of course, you also have to look at financial positions. I use an analogy in the fertilizer space that you have fertilizer producers that, is sent that historically have had a lot of cash to deploy into other infrastructure and other production. You have blenders and distributors that run off really slim margins. They're not going to be as free flowing with their cash. Knowing where your partner sits from that perspective is also fundamentally part of that equation.
1: Yeah. How important is product development, innovating new products is that something you're looking for as you look at your partners today and in the future?
2: We absolutely are, and there's a so the reason that we call ourselves IV Advanced Materials is ultimately we are not a what I would call a dig and dump operation. So we're not going to just mine all the product and sell it away. We're, ultimately in the business after creating an advanced materials portfolio of products. We have some absolute rock stars in our organization that have been there and done that before. And that's when we look at what we're going to do over the 50-year mine life. That's where we're going to drive as much shareholder value as we possibly can, because we'll develop our own suite of products, or we will be in conjunction with our commercial partners to develop this suite of products that ultimately helps us dictate price points. It also helps us dictate you know, where the product flows and so it's win-win. So that's 100% at the forefront of our thinking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that your leadership team has a lot of experience elsewhere in the industry, Albemarle and elsewhere in specialty chemicals and developing those advanced material solutions. So it's clearly part of that long-term picture for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When the company decided that it was going to re here to the U.S., list on the NASDAQ, the board went through a process with some of their advisors to look at the type of skill sets and the people we needed to bring in. And I think they did a fantastic job in looking at people that have been in that specialty chem space, lithium and bromine and other items. And so that brings a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience and a lot of relationships to the table. So yeah, you're right. Our leadership team is absolutely stacked from that perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's critical. So as a new entrant, what I think is interesting is that 5E has the opportunity to be different, right? So if we look at the chemical industry, 100 plus years old, if we look at mining, I don't know, millions of years old, maybe depending on how long we believe the earth has been around and, and we've been mining. And so there's this, there's just a certain way that business is done that many people, many companies feel to a certain degree, stuck in doing business a certain way, because that's their heritage. They've grown up in that space. As a new entrant, 5e's got the opportunity to be different, right? Different in your approach to business, in your approach to customers and markets. How are you guys thinking about that?
2: That's a really interesting concept. And it's actually something that we dealt with at my previous organization too, because chemical industry, much like the fertilizer industry, is very much used to doing business in a certain way. And let's be honest, right? It's been profitable. and
1: It works. Yeah.
2: It works, right? And the shareholders love it and management loves it and customers love it and it's great, but it's not how you're going to sustain things generation to generation. And you're right. So the fact that we have the ability to be more in lockstep with customers, right? Where customers actually have sort of interest in the business as a whole and just beyond supplying of product, right? So take the auto industry, for example, nobody would have ever sat 20 years ago and said that the auto industry are going to and start to employ geologists on their staff to look at deposits where they're actually going to be taking product and using it in their future production. You would have thrown that concept out, you would have been looked at like you have five heads. Yeah,
1: it's laughable. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it is. And so it's that alignment between the business and the customers that is evolving and it's evolving beyond and it's companies like us that are having to push that envelope, right? To have it evolve beyond a simple supply vendor supplier vendor customer relationship that just for upstart companies, like any pre-revenue company or upstart companies trying to have emerging technologies, it doesn't work that way anymore. And so we have a chance to be a very significant player in the space that we're targeting, but do it in a way that has shifted the paradigm. And look, we're not the only ones doing it, but when you look at some of our peers in these particular spaces, that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish. So it's really, it's that redefinition of the, the vendor customer, a relationship that I think it will ultimately change the paradigm.
1: Awesome. That's cool. What's next for you and for 5e when we look ahead to 2023, which is right around the corner? what should we be looking for?
2: Big things for us from a commercial and from a operational perspective. So we are building a small scale facility right now that will be mechanically complete by the end of the year. We'll need the first quarter of next year to commission that plant. And then as we move into Q2, we'll be able to start throttling up production from that plant. So we will have product that will be coming out, right? You'll go through multiple cycles of running to test. You want to get your flow rates right. You want to get your head grade right. You want to get all of that correct. So you're going to see a lot of catalysts in the operations perspective. Commercially, too, as well. We are in some pretty significant discussions with a variety of customers that I think are going to help us go to the next step in the next part of the evolution of this company. So you're going to start to see some things from a commercial perspective. And we're very hopeful, given where we are today in our government program, that you're going to start to see some news flow that will come out of 5E that will start to look at how is the government supporting us from a partnership and funding perspective. So 2023, it should be a fantastic year. It'll be another year of milestones. We hit a lot of milestones in 2022, and we've got a lot of stuff set up for 2023. We'll then go into a process where we'll start to scope out how do we go from our small scale facility into our large scale sort of production and operation. So 2023 is going to be a great year for us.
1: That sounds great. JT, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And hopefully, we've been able to raise, this, raise the spotlight a little bit on boron. And hopefully, the our listeners end up taking a look at and see exactly what boron does in the sustainability industry. So thank you again for having me.
1: Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening to The Chemical Show today. Keep following, listening and sharing. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.